Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CC.co podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where we aim to go deeper than we can on a Sunday morning on a wide variety of topics. Today's episode is very special. It is with Pastor Bob Gaglione, and he is interviewing none other than Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee's testimony um, is incredible. He wrote The Case for Christ. They had a feature film about his life, um, and Lee was able to speak with us at our Easter service. And so this conversation dives deeper into what was going on in his conversion, a little bit more uh, cool stories about his life. So make sure you listen up, sit back and be blessed. Welcome to the CC Delco podcast, everybody. I'm Pastor Bob Gaglione. And today we have a special guest. I'm joined by Lee Strobel, who's the author of the award-winning The Case for Christ. It sold over 14 million copies. Lee is also an evangelist, a teaching pastor, an apologist. Lee, you have a lot of titles, a lot of callings. <laughs> you know, my favorite my favorite title is Bapa, which <laughs> there means you grandfather go. Yeah. to my grandkids. And sometimes, hey, you, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Lee, thanks for joining us. It's it's a privilege to have you. Well, thanks, Bob. It's great to be here. Love your church. Love this. It's been such great hospitality. Thanks. We really appreciate it. So, Lee, you're probably most famous for The Case for Christ, which I've already said is sold over 14 million copies, which is probably far beyond what you ever expected. Well, that, yeah, that's actually, 14 is actually all my All books. your books. Yeah, but yeah. Case for Christ is certainly the biggest yeah. of those. But I have a sixth sense that the movie now may be what you're most famous for or what people ask about. Yeah. Has the movie really moved the needle a lot or just another peg in the journey? It's been fascinating to see how God's used it. Because, you know, when I was approached, it wasn't my idea to do a movie. I got approached by the studio. And my thinking was, you know, a lot of people won't read a 300-page book, yeah. but they'll watch a movie. Exactly. So I thought, how will we reach the gospel? We'll get it into more people's um, lives. And so um, we did the film, and God has used it all around the world. In New Zealand, a church rented a movie theater mm. and showed it, and 22 people came to faith right there. I was in Des Moines. I met a pastor. He said, my personal ministry, this is pre-COVID, he said, um, is when I meet someone who's not a Christian, I invite them over to my house for dinner, and then after dinner, we watch the Case for Christ movie. I said, that's great. I said, what's the result been? Over 30 people have that's, come to faith so th- far. There's something about film and that medium. Yeah. Uh, Bethany Hamilton, we've had her at our summer series, and the movie comes out, and like we were just inundated with mm. people. There's something about film. that There is. I think it's the language of the it is. next generation. It really is, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think most people listening know the backstory. You mm. were an atheist. You worked for the Chicago Tribune. Your wife um, begins to inv- investigate Christianity. She yeah. gets baptized. And so you go on this journey to disprove uh, Christianity. Now, uh, in my generation, the same man that did that, and there's been a lot of yeah. men, right, C.S. Lewis, sure. et cetera, but the man who did that was Josh McDowell. Sure. But I remember sitting with Josh one day, and he said, you know, Bob, after investigating the validity of the resurrection, the New Testament records, and all that, the evidence was there, but at the end of the day, it was just like you, it came down to faith. Yeah. So tell me about the moment where it went from your head to your heart. Yeah. I used to, when I was an atheist, I thought faith meant you believed in something even though you knew in your heart it couldn't be true. Yeah. 
But what I learned is biblical faith is taking a step of trust in the same direction the evidence is pointing. Right. That's rational. That's logical to do. And so on November the 8th of 1981, I, I said to myself, I've been looking at this stuff for two years, and I think the evidence is in. I just need to reach a verdict. Yeah. And so I reviewed all the evidence, and, and I sat back and I said, wait a minute. In light of this avalanche of evidence that points so powerfully toward the truth of Christianity— it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Yeah. And the scales just sort of tipped at, at that moment. And that's when I saw uh, John one twelve. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, yeah. even to those who believed in his name. And I realized that even though I believed it, that wasn't enough. I had to receive this free gift of God's grace. So, Lee, my story is the opposite of yours. I was going to be a lawyer. Mm. I was an economics major, all-American basketball player. I get radically saved. Uh, today, if you talk to most people that know me, you know, I love apologetics. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I love preaching on the resurrection. I could, you know, just ask anybody. Yeah. But I always tell people everything I know is post-conversion. Mm. So yeah. my faith was first. Yes. And then it followed. Yes. Somebody listening, and I hear this from younger people, Pastor Bob, yeah, I looked at apologetics. I get it. I just don't feel anything. Mm, yeah. What would you say to them? Uh, you know, Billy Graham didn't feel anything when he came to faith. You know, in fact, he wondered if this was real. Uh, my wife Leslie didn't feel anything when she came to faith. She questioned whether she was authentically, you know, saved for a long time. Interesting. And um, uh, I didn't have a rush of emotion when I came to faith. Yeah. I had what I call the rush of reason. Mm. You know, that this made sense. And right. um, so I, I try to um, separate out the emotional side and and say. Um, you know, have I have I truly uh, responded to the evidence by uh, confessing my sin, repenting of that, receiving this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for me on the cross? Um, and and uh, you know, over time that sinks in a little bit more yeah. and more. And I think I do think Bob that. There's two legitimate functions of apologetics. One is, like in my case, where it led me to putting my trust in Christ. But in your case, and I think most cases, it's people who are already followers of Christ, but apologetics or evidence for the faith helps deepen your faith. And it's the beauty of it yes, all. So yes. I go to Israel and I look at what God has done and how all this came together and how he preserved the yeah. word of God. There's a beauty and a richness in all that. Yes. Lee, in all the evidence, was there one singular piece of evidence mm. that stood out? Well, it is a cumulative case in yeah. the sense that um, it's not one fact per se, but there was that final piece of the puzzle. And what it was, was the willingness, and I, I phrase this carefully, the willingness of the disciples to die for their conviction yeah. they'd encounter the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. How some of them did die gets a little bit misty in yeah. history. But we have seven ancient sources, six of them outside the Bible, that tell us they lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation yeah. that Jesus had risen. And and so I asked myself, you know, um, sure, kamikaze pilots in World War II <laughs> crashed their plane because they thought they'd go to heaven if they died that way. Yeah. You know, there are terrorists these days exactly. who will die because they think they're going to heaven. Yeah. But the difference is, of all human beings who ever lived, the disciples were in a unique position to know yeah. for a fact, is yeah. this true or is it a lie? Exactly. They were there. They talked to him. They ate to the resurrected Jesus. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth, they were willing 
to die. And they could have fallen back on their, on their Jewishness sure. and, and just, you know, fell on their sword. This was and, so yeah. this was so alien to yeah. their Jewish beliefs that, you know, the the Jewish belief at the time was there would be one resurrection at the end exactly. of history. Not not that Jesus would come right. back immediately. That was totally out of the question. Lee, I want to talk about your transition because for those listening, you know, you know, you're new in faith. Life is different. Yeah. Peter says we're transformed by the seed of the word of God and you're never the same. I think that's the first thing I knew. Yeah. I don't know anything about scripture, but I yeah. know life's going to be different. <laughs> right. So you transition from the Chicago Tribune and actually become a teaching pastor at a local church. Did you have to wrestle with that? I mean, you have a plum job at the Chicago yeah. Tribune. You have no idea this is all ahead of you. Yeah. Talk about your transition. Well, it was one of the easiest things I've ever done. Amazing. Yeah, and the reason is I felt so much, so with such clarity that this was God's call in my life. I remember when um, I interviewed for that position at the church, and um, the pastor said to me, um, you know, we can only offer you about 40% of your current <laughs> salary. And I said, no problem, I'll take it. Yeah. And and a couple months later, he came back to me and he said, you know, when we told you we were only going to pay you 40% of your salary. We are going to pay you a little more. You know, oh. no, he, he, said, he said, we were surprised you said yes so quickly. And you oh. know what I said to him? I would have done it for, for nothing. Free, yeah. And I meant that. Yeah. I would have figured out a way to do it for nothing. Because yeah. I felt so, I, I, I pictured myself on my deathbed and putting my head on the pillow for the last time and thinking back, if I had not followed what I really discerned to be God's call in my life, how would I feel at that moment? I'd feel horrible. Yeah. What did I miss? And Lee, you saw a unique church experience. It was one of the yeah. largest churches, very leadership oriented. Yeah. Uh, not your church on the corner, right? Very structured. Was that right. was that impressive to you? Or well, it was scary when I <laughs> when I came in there because you know most pastors get to, to get to begin their preaching careers teaching uh, ten Small or fifteen audience. people. Yeah, <laughs> I get up in front of four thousand right. people, and I remember I was so nervous first time I got up that there was a, a worship song before I got up and we clapped oh my and my gosh. my hand splashed. That's how my hands literally splashed. Wow. That's how. And I got up and I looked at my notes and it was like my notes were written in Greek. I, I, it was like I couldn't gracious. read my notes. I was so nervous. So I had to make my mistakes in front of large groups. So Lee, time goes on. And of course, you begin to write all these different books, The Case for Faith, uh, The Case for Grace, uh, The Case for Easter, mm. uh, so forth and so on. But I want to jump to something that has me really excited. You shared that your next book is going to be The Case for Heaven. Yes. And the reason I'm excited about this is probably every other week I have an older woman that walks the aisle. Mm. Pastor Bob, have you read this book? And this mm. is the latest person that's gone to heaven. Mm, yeah. And it breaks my heart yeah. because I cling to that verse. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, yeah. nor has it entered the mind of man what God has in store for us. Right. But he's put it in our spirit. We know there's something yes. coming. Yeah, he put eternity in our heart. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, all these books, and I don't want to get into the motives of why people, yeah. but but we need a book on heaven. Yeah. Uh, why don't you talk about how you landed on this topic? Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, I almost died. Oh. Uh, my wife found me unconscious. What? Um, yeah, and I woke up in the emergency room, Jeez. and the, the doctor looked at me and said, you're one step away from a coma, two My steps away gosh. from dying. And uh, I was on the edge of death for several My days. Goodness. I had a weird condition called hyponatremia, which is a severe drop in your blood sodium level. In fact, if there's any doctors listening or nurses, I'll tell you my blood sodium level was 112. 
And when I tell that to a doctor, they they turn white and said, oh, you died, right? <laughs> well, I came darn close to it. My goodness. So, you know, Bob, I think as, um, as followers of Christ, um, we believe in the afterlife. We believe in heaven and hell. But when you're faced with it, um, you know, you say, do I really believe it? It seems kind of outlandish, you know. So that or when you do a funeral, like I do funerals, I look yeah. at that hole and I feel like Thomas helped my unbelief. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to spend a couple of years and investigate heaven mm. and hell. And I have two chapters in my book on hell and um uh and reincarnation and so forth but i build the case for so heaven needed. and uh from from neuroscience i interviewed a phd in neuroscience from cambridge um on um the fact that we have a soul yeah. that we're not just a body but yeah. we are a, a hyphenated care uh people that is we have a we're, we're a body and a soul um and um um, I, I look at I looked at near death experiences. I'm very skeptical as you are of these. Hey, I visited heaven and Jesus <laughs> got blue eyes, kind of yeah. a thing. Um, but having said that, we do have certain cases. All we need is one case of a near death experience to show that there's some life after clinical I that death. That was impressive when you told me that. Yep. Yeah, and you know we have ones where there's corroboration. Yeah. So my conclusion is I don't get into this stuff about I visited heaven, but <laughs> I do I do look at the science of the question of do we have any corroboration for the fact that we continue to exist after clinical death? And the answer is yes. Um, and I look at the evidence for the resurrection and. Um, uh, so it was a re- and you know what else I did, Bob? I got to spend time just me and Luis Palau before mm. he died. Um, he was on his deathbed just a few months before he died, and um, I went to his home in Portland and mm. spent the day with him and interviewed him as a great f- evangelist about yeah. facing death yeah. and about um, how that changed his perspective and 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 so forth and. It was a very profound time. And one of the things he said to me, he said, Lee, when you get to the end of your life, when it's all said and done, you will never regret being courageous for Christ. That's great. Which I thought, wow, that's that's a statement. You mentioned Billy Graham earlier. Yeah. I remember Billy Graham, someone asked him, Billy, are you going to heaven? He said, I hope so. Mm. And they were like, you hope so? You've been preaching about heaven your whole life, being born again. He goes, yeah, i just never done it. <laughs> So you mentioned two years investigating heaven, yeah. and there's a lot of younger millennials who don't remember the newsroom. You worked mm-hmm. in a newsroom. Yeah. I worked in an environment where desks were butted up one against another. Right. Uh, anybody who's seen the movie Spotlight or or The Post, you've seen newsrooms. You guys would work on stories six months to a year before you would ever yeah. write. Yeah. So your books are a little different. You're not just reading the scriptures. Like Randy Alcorn has a great book on yes, heaven. he does. You're actually doing an investigation. Right, right. That's what makes yeah. my books a little different. Right. I don't have to be the expert. Exactly. I go out and I seek out the, the smartest. Experts. The yeah. experts. The yeah. experts. And godly people um, who have who have godly character. And so I I go to them and, and ask them the kind of questions that all of us have. I try to put myself in the shoes of the average guy and say, here's what I'd like to know about heaven. Is cremation okay? You know, I ask questions like that. Is, is my dog going to be in heaven? You know, I want to know stuff. <laughs> like that. But um, um, so that gives me the opportunity to really travel the country and sit down with some really, really smart people and probe on why they believe what they believe. Is there a chapter on hell? 
Two chapters. Two yeah. chapters. And I, I critique, you know, there's two trends in Christianity today, mm-hmm. especially among kind of um, younger, progressive, yeah. quote-unquote, Christians. One right. is annihilationism, yeah. that when we die, the non-believer is snuffed out of existence, yeah. um, and an eternal conscious torment is a thing of the past. That, that's not biblical, according to them. And then secondly, uh, universalism, that yeah. we're all ultimately saved. So yeah. I critique both of those, which I believe neither of those are uh, biblical. Now, I think that universalism falls outside Christian orthodoxy. I think annihilationism is, you know, less of an issue in the sense that you can put it under the umbrella of orthodoxy. John Stott, the great evangelical uh, thinker of the 20th century, believed in annihilationism. So I, I don't think that's necessarily a disqualifier, but I just don't think it's biblically supported sufficiently. It's a showstopper for young people. I remember when the whole Rob Bell Love Wins thing yes. was going around. And I remember the argument back and forth, and I remember my son, he was probably in his 20s, saying, you know what would be cool? If all these great thinkers debated each other in a spirit of love, instead of you writing this book and you writing this book. So, But uh, yeah, definitely a a major issue. Lee, in all your writings, you must get tons of correspondence, uh, letters, emails, people, you know, all the time stopping you on the street. You know, I, I mean, I get crazy, crazy people that heard me on the radio yeah. that I went to school with, stuff like that. Right. must be insane for you. Can you think of one or two great, great feedback stories? Uh, it's been remarkable. Um, uh, one of my favorite ones was I got a phone call one day from a woman who said, uh, you don't know me, but I'm Jewish. I said, <laughs> okay. She said, yeah, but I read your book and now I'm a Christian. Wow. I thought, oh, that's awesome. She said, yeah. She said, would you come share Jesus with my boyfriend? <laughs> and I said, sure. And she said, well, you got to know something. He's a Muslim. I said, well, that's fine. That's I love, okay. I love yeah. Muslims. She said, yeah, yeah, I know something else. He's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, my goodness. And so I went and I got to spend the day with Kareem. You nice guy. Wow. Nice guy. And and then he came over to my house later for steak and and uh, we spent he the He seems together. like a curious guy. He's he's a very bright guy. Yeah, very he, he's smart. written about half a dozen books. Uh-huh. He's an historian. Yeah. And uh, we had great conversations. Um, and then I got a phone call one day. I pick up the phone. And they say, is this Lee? I said, yeah. And he said, this is evil. <laughs> And I thought, Satan got my phone number. Is that that even possible? Can Satan do that? No, it's evil Knievel. Oh, okay. And he told me the story of how he had lived a very drunken, womanizing life and um, gambler. And and, uh, he was on the beach one day, and he said, I heard the voice of God on the inside. And and it said, Robert, uh, I've saved you more times than you'll ever know. Now you need to come to me through my son, Jesus. And he said, I didn't know who Jesus was, so I called the only Christian I knew, Frank Gifford, the sportscaster. Oh, and I said, who's Jesus? And he said, um, read the case for Christ. So he got my book. Anyway, long story short, Evil Knievel had one of the most radical conversions to Christ. I remember I have, reading about oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It was um, he, he got first time he shared his testimony, 700 people responded, came forward, came to faith, and were baptized on the spot. It's like Jonah coming out of the whale. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It was unbelievable. He and, and On his tombstone, he had in, inscribed, believe in Jesus. My gosh. Unbelievable. Uh, and he, Bob, the thing that haunts me about evil— Bob, uh, Robert was his real name. He um, he would lament to me, say, Lee, if only I'd come to faith as a teenager, I could have lived my life for Christ. I could have lived differently. I could have had a different... And he, he just couldn't get over the fact he he felt like he'd wasted his life. Yeah, and young people are the opposite. They think, wow, I want to sow my wild oats. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, he sowed his wild oats and he regretted it. And and it, and at the end, I said, you know, Robert, uh, you're going to reach people who someone who comes to faith exactly. as a teenager is not going to be able to reach. Maybe watching YouTube clips of the That's jumping right. the buses and, yes. and those things. That's right. So um, I shared that I have an apologetic bent to my yeah. preaching. So years ago, uh, you know, I went to Catholic school and I, I didn't believe in evolution. Yeah. Uh, when I wasn't a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember in my preaching thinking, you know, every time I speak about evolution or apologetics, I always quote the book written by a Christian. I'm going to go back and read first source. Mm. So I remember walking into Barnes & Noble, picking up Richard Dawkins, The Blind Watchmaker. Yeah. And I felt like I was buying a Playboy book, like, tell, <laughs> telling the lady, can you put that in the wrapper so nobody sees this? And I remember thinking, this guy is a brilliant writer. Yeah. But there's nothing to this. Yeah. And then, of course, the God delusion comes right. out. And so the thing I love about your book is that I remember Mick Jagger saying he read The God Delusion and it's what he expected. Mm. And what's sad is he doesn't know there's evidence on the other side. Right. And he doesn't know John Lennox also right. is at Oxford. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, I, I think these books are fantastic. I'm, mm. I'm so honored that you're writing all these uh, why don't we kind of land here and end on the cultural moment? Yeah. Um, a lot of people think we're in this amazing cultural moment with the pandemic, which none of us have ever seen. Yeah. Um, racial unrest, uh, you know, everything one piled on another, socialism and all. But you lived through an era that was pretty similar. Detroit yeah. riots. And True. The Mexico Olympics, black power. Right. And civil rights. Uh can you talk to the cultural moment that we're in? Well, you know, it's a great question. Um, I was with a, at a restaurant with Leslie the other day, and I was in a spiritual conversation with the waitress, who was about 18 years old, and she started to cry, had tears in her eyes. And she said, I, I'm sorry. Uh, she said, I almost didn't come into work today. Uh, we just lost a close family member to COVID. And it struck me that you talk about a cultural moment. Here we have a whole generation of young people like her who probably never thought of death in an up-close and personal yeah. way. This is probably the first person in her immediate circle who's died. And she's thinking about the fragility of life. And I think that's cutting through a lot of the cultural chaos at the moment, that, that people are coming face-to-face -face with people they know who've died of COVID yeah. and wondering about the brevity of life, the meaning of life, the purpose of life. And I think that's a perfect opening for the uh, for the gospel. That's what we've been telling our people. Don't say people's no for them about yes. coming to church in these times. You and I know it's going to pass. It passed yeah. the 9-11. It always passes when yeah. things get back to normal, which I think you're right. We're in this little snapshot where there's a little more openness to, hey, you know, <laughs> we're all going to the same place. Yeah, there, yeah. there's people are are uh, scared in a lot of ways. Young people who, who've had lost, I've lost my brother to COVID. Um, that brings death, um, um, you know, right up close when it's your own older brother. Yeah. Um, and so my, my hope and prayer is that God is, as he is wont to do, is going to draw good from evil. Yeah. And he's going to, uh, there are going to be lots of folks who are going to come to faith in Christ because of the uncertainty, uh, that they've experienced during this uh, COVID era. Well, Lee, I just, um, just thank you for taking the time to investigate Christianity. Most oh, people thanks. spend more time investigating a flat screen TV. <laughs> 
than the time you put into uh, investigating the claims of Christ. I'm praying there's a young Lee Strobel who's doing the same thing right now. There are. Somewhere out there. You know what? There's a young man named Matthew Middleberg, who's the son of my good Mm. friend Mark Middleberg, and he's a young apologist. Uh, Just watch a YouTube video of him sharing the evidence for the resurrection. Uh, Sean McDowell, Josh's Uh son, is dynamite. My son, who's a Ph.D. in theology, uh, you know, I have great confidence that um, in the future um, because of people like that. Hey, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, and he's always raising somebody up. Lee, thanks for joining us, and we pray many blessings on your next book and and your future years of ministry. Thanks, Bob. God bless you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, head to ccdelco.com to stay up to date with all of our sermons, our resources, all the events that are going on at Calvary Chapel of Delaware County. We'll see you at our next episode and we pray that you're blessed this week.